And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Huzzah! Welcome back to our, our global misery parade, as I've been calling it. Great, <laughs> yes. We had a brief respite last last episode, but we're back. We're back. Here. <laughs> we sure are. Uh, <clears throat> so this this week we are talking about a a, a TV movie or a, a play that was aired on TV, kind of. Yeah, teleplay, I think, would be an accurate term, yeah. Yeah, Um, that is called God on Trial from 2008, uh, aired on PBS. And BBC. It was a BBC BBC. production, I believe, yeah. Um, And uh, it's it's available on YouTube if, if you want to see it. Yeah, it's very low quality. It's definitely low a low res yes. upload. Uh, although I guess I don't know for sure if there is a high res version. I have no memory of what the quality was like on the the disc Same. that we watched. I mean, I suspect the quality was a little higher than this, but also it's not the kind of movie where that mattered a ton. Yeah, I feel like yeah, it's not like the visuals were what. Uh... Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> it's it is just people sitting in a room talking. For most of it. For most of it, except for the framing device, which I hated. Yeah, the framing device was awful and weird and clunky. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. I was trying to think how we found this movie, and I feel like this is probably one of the ones that I was just, like, Googling around for movies about God. Yeah, that seems likely, because I I certainly can't think of where else we would have heard of it. Right. Um, It's, It's a pretty... I mean, looking at it on Letterboxd, it only has... 1.3k people have marked it as seen, which is really low. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it is not a, not exactly a, a, a well known, widely known. Movie. Not the lowest of what we've seen, but no, it, it it might be the second lowest, honestly. I don't know. I'd have to go through and check, but uh, I don't know if it's the second lowest for me. I mean, I think this doesn't matter. I, I was gonna say I think uh, that. The brother born again was definitely that was definitely born. the that's definitely the the lowest yeah so By that far. we've watched for this one yeah this this is maybe the second lowest um okay well where do we want to start with this <laughs> yeah this is going to be a, a tricky one um I guess background info it's uh it is I guess inspired by a play by Elie Vassell called The Trial of God. Which is based on an, it seems, apocryphal story, but... Well, so I was just reading about this, actually. Um, So, he says that he based the play on actual events that he witnessed in Auschwitz. That he actually saw three rabbis put on a trial for God. Mm. But the play is not... The play is based on that experience, but it is not about people in Auschwitz. Uh, the play is about uh, people in a, a small town, like a village that had just gone through a pogrom. It's a fictional setting. Yeah. Okay. So the play was kind of inspired by the real thing that he saw. And then for this movie, they took that and, you know, kind of re- – but at, at least at least what I can gather from my, my in-depth Wikipedia research, <laughs> uh, it was not it was not an apocryphal story. The version of it that he made as a play is fictionalized. Um, and so I suppose, you know, this. I don't think he, the version of the, the real story that he told doesn't have a lot of detail. So, you know, this is right. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how 
Right. I don't know how heavily this took from the play. Um, you know, if the specific arguments were taken from that or if they kind of winged it for that. Um, but it is it is based on a, a real event that occurred, apparently. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so, yeah. So, as Joel sort of uh, insinu- or implied said there, um, uh, the story is about a group of Jews in Auschwitz, um, specifically a group of Jews who have just gone through a selection uh, where half of them have been sent one direction, half of them have been sent with the other, and they know that that means that half of them are going to die uh, right. in the morning. This happens every time new people come in, they have to clear space. Right. So, so a new group has come in, and they are st- they are there. Half of the people that were there know they're going to die in the morning, although they're, they're incorrect about which half. Um, As, yeah, that's the, the final irony. Yeah. And, uh, and they sort of come around to this thing where they're going to have uh, they're going to have a trial for God as to whether or not he has broken covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, functionally contract. Has, has God broken the contract that he made right. with the Jewish people? And part of this is that they're doing it as like a, I don't know the term for it, but it's not like a secular trial. It is a Jewish trial. Yeah. Which is not something that I'm familiar with. So uh, they have three, just, they have three, they have three uh, judges because uh, apparently that is that is the way at a at a Jewish trial um, to make sure there was there's not a tie or anything. There's right. majority deciding. I, technically, it said they're all supposed to be rabbis, but they they were not. Uh, they fudged that for this. Yeah, yeah they they weren't that many available, I guess. And I'm trying to think. What uh, uh, for a quick note the the framing device is a bunch of people like touring Auschwitz in present day, and the guy explaining this trial to them sort of, and it's really clunky, and I I feel like they just put it in for like the ending line which I hated, yeah, and it just it, it it's really unfortunate. But that said, I mean I think it's like five to six minutes of the 85 minutes like it's it's not a lot right. of it the bulk they cut back to it occasionally throughout the movie but it's, yeah. it is pretty minor the bulk of the movie is these is these men it just mostly to me it just seemed like they wanted to get outside occasionally maybe rather than, rather than literally just being in that one room for the entire thing they felt like they had to break it up a little bit but yeah so so that was unfortunate but everything else i was not sure how this would hold up for me i only remembered the most basic thing um that you know that it they were putting God on trial for his lack of action, basically, um, mm. as to whether or not that meant that he had broken contract. Um, and I was not sure how I was going to feel about it. How did you feel about it? Um, complicated. Okay. <laughs> uh, I. It was interesting. I. I was thinking about. It's been a very long time since I have sat, listened to, or been part of a conversation where people sort of. Uh, have this sort of intellectual debate about the merits of God and whether or not God should be held responsible for wrongdoing and like how, you know, how a just God can allow things to happen, et cetera, et cetera. These are conversations that I have had and been involved in many times in my life, but not for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, And I was honestly a little bit surprised at, just exactly how repulsive I found so many of the arguments being made now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And so that makes it difficult to talk about because I don't want to be the dude on the podcast who's like, yeah, Jewish beliefs are gross. Um, cause I don't, I don't think that's a fair or accurate way of describing it. Uh, and I don't, you know, don't really know enough about, you know, everything that I know about Judaism as a religion or most of what I know about it, I learned through the filter of evangelical Christianity, which is, of course, not a fair way to learn about it. No, uh, and is honestly extremely anti-Semitic. Right. <laughs> so, I want to be careful how I talk about it, uh, but a lot of the... A lot of the argument centers around ideas such as if we accept good things from God, we have to be willing to accept bad things from God. Or we can't understand why God does things. We just have to believe that he means them for the best. Or maybe this thing is terrible, but maybe God will use this thing to make, to make something, beautiful. something beautiful. And so it will, in the in the long run, this terrible thing will be beautiful. And I find all of that so fucking gross now. I yeah. can barely listen to it without getting angry. <laughs> well, here's okay. Here, here's where I. So, I, I I spent a lot of time watching this movie, thinking about, um, thinking about who we were, ten, twelve years ago, um, and thinking about what what would what would have felt really meaningful about about this movie to us, which. Um, was a lot. And I think something that I, so when I was first going, when I was first going through like one of several sort of feelings of crises of faith before I just, just stopped having crises of faith and stopped having faith, um, was that, um, there were a few things I would read that, that I think made me hold on a little longer, that made me view things differently. And one of, one of the one of the authors that I got really into during that time, which was would have been like in my early 20s, was uh, Kaim Potok. Right. I remember you had a Potok phase. I never read any of his stuff. I did. I did. I, I specifically, I, I remember mom, mom had given me, is it The Chosen? The, the, his like most famous book. Um, <laughs> I think it's The Chosen. And that was the one she really liked. But then she also sort of offhandedly handed me this other one um, called My Name is Asher Love. And she was like, this one's really weird, but, you know, you can read it. Um, I mean, she was you can borrow it. <laughs> I was I was living at home. I could read whatever I wanted. <laughs> um, and that was the one that I was obsessed with which I think troubled mom. But um, <laughs> so I think um, and I think the reason for that, and I was I was thinking about this a lot. I, I think the reason for that is because the ways the way that the way that uh, that Kaim Potok talked about God and the way that many of the Jews in this trial talk about God felt really different from how I had been allowed to talk about God. Like, yes, have I been involved in conversations in my lifetime, many conversations in my lifetime, about, you know, whether God can be good and just functionally, right? Can, can mm -hmm. he be completely good and completely just and completely powerful? Is it possible for him to be all of those things? But I never felt like they, I never felt like they were actually discussions. Because I didn't feel like we were allowed to, we knew the answer. <laughs> 
We right. knew the answer. And what I think was compelling to me about what I read about Judaism, and I, I follow, I have I have friends who are Jewish. I, I follow a number of Jews, both religious and non-religious Jews. On Twitter, I, I still find Judaism to be frequently a compelling frame. Although, of course, to say Judaism is ridiculous. There's so many different... <laughs> different types but um but i think what i what i found compelling was that it felt like the it felt like their faith was was more robust was more could withstand more than what i like like yes you and i had these questions a lot but like it wasn't like people ever gave us meaningful answers or engaged with us meaningfully like part of the thing about god on trial is that like you know hitler didn't care what kind of jew you were Hitler didn't mm-hmm. care if you were religious, if you had never been religious, what, you know, well, right. you might belong to. I mean, it, it wasn't about the religion. Right, exactly. So it wasn't yeah. about the religion, which means yeah. that these men all, like many of them, have vastly different understandings of what, of you know, of who God is, if God exists. Right. <laughs> of what that means. And, and I think that to see a conversation where, at least in this, even though I think that the, the final speech it lands on is, is one that I want to talk about more, but, um, yeah, but I think that to see this conversation about these things and to, it feels like, it feels like if God exists, he is not threatened by this. There is, there is no threat to this faith by, you know, 20 different men having 20 different beliefs, some vastly different beliefs in some cases. Well, right. We have one of the judges is uh, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. And we we learn towards the end that he doesn't even consider himself Jewish. His father had been Jewish, but he never knew him and he wasn't aware of that. And he grew up a good German hating Jews and his kids joined the Hitler youth. And then one day they came and arrested him and told him that because they had found out that his father had been Jewish. And now he's here in the camp with all the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Uh so and you know, there are several that are clearly not religious at all. And, right. and I, I think that I found something when I was younger and still find something compelled. Like I don't I am I am a person who at this point in my life, I don't feel that anything is missing. I, I don't I you know, there are people who, who do feel that. And I, I don't think that I am morally or in any way superior for not feeling that. But for whatever reason, I do not feel like any spiritual part of my being missing. (laughs) I don't like, I don't feel the need to pursue a God. Um, I don't think one exists and that's fine with me, but I still think that this, this sort of robustness of faith is still overall appealing to me. Even if I do also find some of the arguments horrific, absolutely. But like, this communal faith. And I, I think that's a, that's a big part of it is like the communal, communal, communal element of it, which is this, you know, the, the sense that like, you know, th- there is there is a, a, you know, an argument at some point early in the movie about whether or not God is a personal God. And one of the characters says, you know, if God isn't personal, he's just weather. Right. Um, but a lot of what they are talking about is not has God broken faith with me Mm -hmm. it's has god broken faith with our people has god right because that that is you know the trial is about the contract that god made with the the jewish people with the nation of israel not with individuals yeah right and i think 
I think that 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 was also really compelling to me. Evangelicalism is a um, <laughs> is a individualistic religion to a horrible level, mm-hmm. um, and so I think I think that. <sighs> I think that seeing this, like, like they talk about community, but their faith is not about community. <laughs> um, and so I think that that also appealed to me when I was young. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like there's, there's a lot there that was really appealing to me then. And then I still find interesting now, for the record. I think to me, there's something about the way that they are willing to, because th- there's something about the, the way that the people that we grew up with approached these questions was very evasive. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was basically, we can't understand it. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas they are very willing to embrace the like, yeah, this stuff was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, and God did terrible things. And it's, it's a much more open, a much more open conversation, certainly than. Yes. Than we ever had. And I think that was probably extremely compelling to me. And I mean, I still find it. I still find it more interesting, certainly, than any conversation we were ever allowed to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there are a variety of different arguments. I, I mean, in the end, I believe they they decided that God had broken contract. Correct. That was the right. They find him guilty in the end. Yeah. Find guilty in the end. The movie leaves on a weird space where the man who's been explaining this all to this like 20 something girl the girl asks like what do you like do you think god broke contract or something like that and he says like well they're still here and that sort of goes back to some of the earlier arguments that god is not like that that god's contract was not to keep all of them safe but was to ensure that as a people they survived right um which is mm. (laughs) well and and before that we have the as you mentioned, there's the there's the sort of big final uh, closing argument, so to speak. Yes, I, I actually have I, I have the closing I, argument up. Okay, I don't know that actor's name. I recognized a lot of people in this, uh, but he was not one of them, and I'm not sure what his name is. But he did really well. <laughs> I think that was like the only time he. I don't think we'd really seen him before. No, I think that was his big. That was his big moment. Right. Um, I think before we talk about that, I want to talk about. Um, and I did recognize this actor, but I can't remember what his name was in the movie. Um, the man whose sons had been. Oh, yeah, that's uh, Eddie. Eddie Marson. Eddie Marson. Yeah, he's been in lots of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Eddie Marson is. Uh, so <laughs> is it what's uh, Dominic Cooper plays this sort of young, very angry. Right. The loudmouth. Uh, he was kind of the one that that uh, initiated this whole thing by loudly shouting about how unjust God was to allow this to happen. If, you know, if there is a God, et cetera. And at one point, uh, he, he says that he wants Liebel to tell them about his sons. And this is in the middle of a discussion about free will. Um, Mm -hmm. that the reason evil happens is because of free will. And he says, okay, I want Liebel to tell you about his sons. And Liebel initially, you know, starts kind of pulling back from that. But then, uh, Dominic Cooper is like, well, I'm going to do it if you, (laughs) if you don't. And so he does. And he, he has, he has three boys and, um, 
when they when they raided the village, they locked them all in the church. They thought they were going to burn them. and But then they pulled them all out. They had pulled the children away, and he starts calling out for his sons. And one of the guards stops him and says, you know, which ones are your sons? And he thought they were going to give them back to him. Um, and so he points them out, and he says, you know, you have three handsome boys there. Pick one, and they can stay with you. Right. It's this. Yeah. It's, it's Sophie's choice. Bit. Yeah. I'm sure that it was a thing that happened to a lot of people. Right. I actually think this is more compelling than how it's played in Sophie's Choice, a movie, which I think yeah. is bizarre. I, I never saw that. But um, but um, and, you know, he and he he never tells us what he chose or if he chose. But he says, you know, where was my choice? And then well, what should I have chosen? Should I, mm-hmm. should I have chosen the youngest, the oldest, the weakest, the strongest, whatever. And. You know, is like, you know, where was my choice in that moment? But I think what is fascinating to me about that is not as much that, although he does a great job. All these actors are great actors. They all they all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he actually does still very firmly believe in God and believes that God is good. And what was interesting to me about that is that so much of what this is about, I think, is like the what is the lens that we use to process the unfathomable what is the what is the thing that still gives our lives meaning when it doesn't seem like there can be any left like that's what we do as people you know we're we're meaning making machines that's what we do uh (laughs) and while i personally think that god is is not real um and mostly and and think that like believing in god is not an inherent evil just depending on how you do it but I think there's plenty of lenses that I use for my own life that create meaning in it that may or may not be, you know, they're the things that work for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that's a lot of what this discussion was, is like, you know, they are faced with an incomprehensible evil with their own death, with the deaths of those they love. And how do you create a me? Like, we want to believe there is a meaning in that, right? And... um and I say that as a, as a non-Jew, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, there's a lot we don't know as evangelical children, growing up evangelical children, who, um, you know, who don't have any concept of what it's like to grow up Jewish or to be in that sort of community or whatever. But I, I just, I found that really fascinating that, you know, when it starts, you think that he's going to be like against God. Right. But he's not. We, yeah, we, we get it. But his, this is, this is part of what I his his the thing that he comes to is basically that he still believes in god because in spite of all this bad stuff that he sees so much good stuff right and i find that such a frustrating thing. <laughs> look i'm not saying i find the argument compelling i don't think yeah, it is at all I, but i think it's interesting to think about I mean, what we he's, do he's he's talking about how like you know he goes outside still in the camp he'll go outside on a sunny day and he feels the warmth of the sun and he knows that's god and someone points out that the camp guards also feel the sun and he insists that but they don't feel the same thing i feel I find it so frustrating, but not not unrealistic at all. Right. Uh, but I, it is it is difficult for me to listen to that kind of thing now. I don't, no, I understand. I one of the things that actually fascinated me about this movie is that, like, yes, yeah, so many of the arguments for God are are in many cases things that we heard growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but many of the arguments against God are things that that I still use or have used over the last 10 years of my life, but I didn't remember I had heard them this early. Hmm. 
I, I, I wouldn't, I don't, if you had asked me, I don't think I would, I would have said that I had heard some of these this mm-hmm. early. Um, and I'm sure that when we watched, like when we watched this movie, I know what I agreed with. Right. I know what, <laughs> like, but, but the, but I, I do think, you know, those things were, those things, I heard them, you know, even if I wasn't mm-hmm. ready to hear them yet. Um, I kind of wanted to end the section on this with um, with the final argument. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I did. <laughs> what did you think about the the French astrophysicist guy? Shit! What was his argument again? Well, he had. So this is the thing. He had two different arguments, and I found the first one interesting and the second one very frustrating. <laughs> okay. Uh, he started out talking, like, you know how many stars there are in this galaxy? Like, there's a hundred thousand million, I think is how he put it. Mm-hmm. Like, just this incomprehensible number. And, you know, if, and, and, you know, we're supposed to believe that the God who created all of that is focused only on this one little planet and not even on the whole planet, but only on this one group of people on the planet. Like, right. if God loves Jews so much, why didn't he fill the universe with Jews instead of stars? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, 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 that, so that was kind of the, the, that side of his argument was the like, this is ridiculous to think that we are that important in the grand scheme of things. Right, right. But then he, his argument turned into a, a historical argument that like, Prior to Judaism, you had cultures that had many gods and thus wider distributed power. Mm. And I found so uh, where I'm going, I found his historical analysis to be very frustrating and nonsensical because his whole thing like his idea was basically that these these older cultures that had many gods and wider distributed power were more open to outside ideas and like sort of inherently more broad minded. And then you got the you got monotheism came in with the Jews and then you had uh Christianity and he he describes it as like he describes it as a series of increasingly compelling ideas that you had many gods and then you had one god and he's our god and then you had well there's one god but he loves everyone that's Christianity right and then the way he described it was that Hitler had a new better idea which is that there's one god and he's me but the idea that that idea was new with Hitler is Ridiculous. <laughs> no, I agree that that's silly. But the part of his argument that I found interesting—I don't think it was exactly what he was arguing, but this was something that Eric and I talked about afterwards, in terms of that, like, um, what he is functionally talking about. Well, a way to take what he is functionally talking about is God as a central source of power, um, and so you know that initially many gods, then we have one God. And then when he talks about the Christians, he doesn't just say there's a God and he loves everyone. That's Christianity. He says there's a God and he loves everyone. And therefore we have to conquer everyone. Right. We have to spread the word, which I actually thought was because I think that that is a lot of what religion of all kinds has been of. It is, it is a frame that people put into place to justify their actions and right. or to to add meaning to their actions to their life. Um, right. I mean, he, so he talks about the, this evolution of religion as like a, a series of increasingly compelling ideas that are also increasingly yes, I disagreed with evil, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> that increasingly narrow the scope of humanity. Uh, and I don't 
I don't know that that's very convincing for me. But yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, I just I I did like his bit about the Christians being like, we have one God who loves everyone, and therefore we must conquer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, that the, well, Ro- the Romans adopted it because it added to their their excuse to conquer the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'm just going to read the final argument. It's it's. A You're little- I am. I'm going to do it because I can't figure out how to do like. I mean, he had like a 10 minute speech. I assume you're not reading all of that. It's not actually that long when I look at it. He he paused okay. a lot. <laughs> like, um, OK, so the rabbi stands up, Rabbi Akiba, and says, uh, who led us out of Egypt? And the judge says, God led us out of Egypt. Rabbi, I have a question. Where? Why were we in Egypt to start with? There was a famine, so we took shelter. Who sent the famine? Well, we don't know much about the famine. God sent the famine. So God sent us to Egypt, and God took us out of Egypt. The judge says, and then later he sent us out of Babylon so that we might... And the rabbi's like, eh. when did he bring, when he brought us out of Egypt, how did he do that? By words, vision, miracle. Moses asked Pharaoh, and when Pharaoh said no, and the inmates say the plagues. And then he goes through the plagues, and I, I won't go through all the plagues, but... Um, at the end, you know, he does all these plagues, and then finally what? And God slew the firstborn of Egypt and led us out of Egypt. He struck down the firstborn, the, from the firstborn heir of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the slave at the mill. He slew them all. Did he slay Pharaoh? Judge says, no, I, I don't think so. It was later. Rabbi says, it was Pharaoh that said no, but God let him live and slew his children instead, all the children. And then the people made their escape, taking with them the gold and silver and jewelry and garments of Egypt. And then God drowned the soldiers who pursued them. He did not close the waters up so that the soldiers could not follow. He waited until they were following. And then he closed the waters. And then what? And the judge says, and then the desert, and ultimately the promised land. And the rabbi says, no, the promised land was empty and a new place, uncultivated. And the judge says, no, there were... And the rabbi says, when the Lord thy God shall bring you into the promised land, you shall cast out the many nations before you, nations much greater and mightier than you are. You shall smite them and utterly destroy them. Make no covenant and show no mercy to them. And one inmate says, you know, it shows us his favor. We're his people. And he says, okay, he gave us a king and Saul. And... When the people of Amalek fought, fought God's soul's people, what did the Lord God command? I'll ask the scholar. And the scholar says he crushed to crush Amalek and put him under the curse of destruction. Was Saul to show any mercy, to spare anyone? And, you know, the no is the answer. <laughs> Kill man, woman, babe, suckling, ox, sheep, cattle, and donkey. Um, so he, okay, I won't read the whole thing, but he goes through about Saul slaughtering everyone. And after Saul, there came David. Um, who took Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, to himself after arranging to have Uriah killed and against the wishes of God. Did God strike David for this? The scholar says, in a manner of speaking. And the rabbi says, did he strike Bathsheba? And the scholar, in the sense that when they had, the rabbi Adonai said, since you have sinned against me, the child will die. You asked earlier who would punish a child. God does. Now, did the child die suddenly, mercifully, without pain? And the scholar kind of mutters. <laughs> And the rabbi says, seven days, seven days, that child spent dying in pain while David wrapped himself in sack and ashes and fasted and sought to show his sorrow to God. Did God listen? Scholar says the child died. The rabbi, did that child find that God was just? Did the Amalekites think that Adonai was just? Did the mothers of Egypt, the mothers, think? did they think that Adonai was just? 
Um, and the scholar says, but Adonai is our God, surely. And Rabbi says, oh, what, did God not make the Egyptians? Did he not make their rivers and their crops to grow? If not him, then who? What? Some other God? But what did he make them for? To punish them? To starve? To frighten? To slaughter them? The people of Amalek, the people of Egypt, what was it like for them when Adonai turned against them? It was like this. Today there was a selection, yes. When David defeated the Moabites, what did he do? The judge says he made them lie on the ground in lines, and he chose one to live and two to die. And the rabbi says, we have become the Moabites. We are learning how it was for the Amalekites. They faced extinction at the hand of Adonai. They died for his purpose. They fell as we are falling. They were afraid as we are afraid. And what did they learn? They learned that Adonai, the Lord our God, our God is not good. He is not good. He was not ever good. He was only on our side. God is not good. At the beginning, when he repented that he had made human beings and flooded the earth, why? What had they done to deserve such annihilation? What could they have done to deserve such wholesale slaughter? What could they have done that was so bad? God is not good. When he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Abraham should have said no. We should have taught God that our God the justice that was in our hearts. We should have stood up to him. He is not good. He has simply been strong. He has simply been on our side. When we were brought here, we were brought by train. A guard slapped my face. On their belts they had written, Gott mit uns, God is with us. Who is to say that he is not? Perhaps he is. Is there any other explanation? What we see here, his power, his majesty, his might, all these things that turned against us. He is still God, but not our God. He has become our enemy. And that is what happened to our covenant. He has made a new covenant with someone else. Right. So <laughs> this is this is a tricky argument uh, that... Uh, I am, I'm a little bit hesitant to even. Uh, well, I don't want to speak approach. to the to the element of the of you know God in of the specific relationship of the of the Jewish people with God. I I don't think we have a right to do that, and I don't want to do that. What I found fascinating about this argument, just in in my own understanding of things, well, two things. The first thing is that when he first says when he first says that. You know, the Lord our God that the Lord our God is not good, he is not good, he was not ever good, he was only on our side. That right. my first thought when he said that was that is the God that the people I grew up believe in. I agree. That line really lands. That like <laughs> because they don't care. They don't care if he's good. They don't care who else gets hurt. They only care that he is on their side and gives them power. It's nice if they can argue he's good because then that makes them good by association. Um, But they do not care how much their beliefs harm others. And in fact, many of them take joy in it. Well, and in fact, they can they argue that he's good. And one of their arguments that he is good is the fact that he is on their side. (laughs) That is is taken as a as a proof point that that he's good. Yes. And then I think that the other thing for me in this argument that I thought about a lot is that is a thing that Eric and I have talked about a lot. Our whole relationship since we first met, which is. I can't speak to God as the Jews understand him. That is not my place, and it's not what I grew up with, and it's not what I understand. But what I <laughs> what I can say is God, as I grew up understanding him, is that if that God is real, like if, if that is true, if if the things that we were taught about this being is true, then he is a monster. And our only moral obligation would be to fight him and resist him. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, that was such a huge, like, I don't know that I heard this when I heard, when, you know, I first heard it, but when I hear it now, I think about like the space that I have reached at this point, which is that, you know, 
if God is true, if God is like God being real, the God that we were taught being real is the worst case scenario. And not because I'm going to go to hell, but because the, the entire universe is run by a petty tyrant. <laughs> right. But but of course, you then remember where that character ends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has so the after they have he's had this great speech and the trial has concluded and they've convicted God the uh, the the soldiers come in and start removing the people who've been selected and uh, the what's his name uh, the the young guy who had been causing trouble the whole time uh, Mo- yeah. Mo- Dominic Cooper's character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Asks him, like, okay, so what are we supposed to do now that we've found God guilty? What are we supposed to do now? And he says, now we pray. Right. <laughs> so, well, even that's that the thing. I is, mean, no, he doesn't land is, where I would land with that argument, but that argument right. rings as incredibly compelling to me. But this is the thing. I don't think, and this is my experience with, you know, wonderful people, uh, wonderful Jewish people who I have met in my life, is that, is that, like, you know, I can totally disagree with them. Um, and, often do uh but it's not a threat in the like it's not a threat to their faith to their like existence (laughs) in the way that it was to the people that i grew up with is that the that you know for many reasons i'm sure cultural sociological maybe spiritual who knows um that it's so much broader and more encompassing than the incredibly narrow segment of Christianity that we grew up with and as a result is more robust is more able to I mean god if god existed the way we grew up he is the most fragile fucking creature <laughs> yeah I mean like, which was something that really bothered me growing up and I think it bothered you too this, like that surely surely if god is this all powerful almighty being he is not in danger from questions right <laughs> Well, and it was always it, we always got very. It was a very mixed message about that because it was, we were always told, of course, you can ask questions about God. Yes, we were always. You know, that. We, that we were pointing to these biblical examples of look at Abraham, question God, and this is you know this is the thing that that our faith allows us to do because there is always an answer. <laughs> you know the answer, and you can question him as much as you want. You can throw a temper tantrum if you want. And there are branches of evangelicalism that that was not the case in. But the way the way we were raised, and you could be angry at God. That was fine. But, like, it didn't it didn't matter. Like, you, you could ask him whatever questions you wanted, supposedly, but not really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I still find this to be... Like I cried a lot. I um I think I would have given it 4.5 if it wasn't for the framing device which I found extremely frustrating. Um and I think um like I don't agree with almost any of these men. It's not the frame that I use for the world and I don't under, I don't know what it would be like for it to be. Um but I, I think it's a it's a interesting and compelling argument, and maybe even more so. I mean, like I would be curious how this landed for. I watched it with Eric. I, I would be curious how this landed for someone like Morgan, who, you know, didn't grow up religious at all, right? And didn't you know? Is this interesting? Is it really boring? Is it just confusing? Is it just confusing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah. you know I. <laughs> Honestly, like most conversations about religion at this point, I find boring because I just don't care. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're. I think it's all pretend. <laughs> So it doesn't matter. But this isn't boring. 
Like, because to me, this is like, yes, this is about religion, but this is about faith as the frame by which we make meaning in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, it's, it's pretty compelling. It's 85 minutes. It's on YouTube. The quality isn't great, but it's plenty good enough for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a rough watch. Um, yeah. <laughs> Holocaust movie. That's <laughs> yeah. This is our, our second of what? At least three. Third, I think. Third. Well, we, well, maybe not. No, maybe I'm thinking of uh, American History X or Nazis right. or Holocaust. It's, yeah. So the counterfeiters in this one? Yeah. Okay. And then at some point we'll do Amen. Yes, that is true. Uh, I am curious to see how that one holds up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, we've been talking about this for 40 minutes, which is, is probably enough minutes. Um, and, and did you have any final thoughts you wanted to add before we... No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Well, let's uh, let's choose what we're gonna watch next. I believe we have uh, sixty-two remaining. Watch, it's gonna be Amen. <laughs> uh, what's number forty-one? Okay, well, it's not Amen. So, <laughs> uh, number forty-one is Please Give. Oh, I forgot we watched that for this. I, re- I was obsessed with that movie. Yeah, I remember. Made you, us watch it. You liked it quite a bit more than I did, as I recall. Yes, I believe that uh, is true. <laughs> but I have since since then have seen more Nicole Hall of Center and uh, I don't love all of her stuff, but uh, I I do find her very interesting. So yeah, I, um, I'm very I curious watched, to watch it again. I haven't watched this probably since we watched it then. Um, but yeah, I, I love Nicole Hall of Center <laughs> generally. So um, I'm excited to to rewatch this and see see how it lands. Cool. All right. Yeah, and it's something a little more lightweight. <laughs> yes, it is a little more lightweight. Thank goodness. Okay. Well, who wants to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? I go first. Okay. I don't remember who went first last time, but go ahead. Okay. Um, so my goal was to make it to 100 movies by the end of February, 100 for the year, um, which I have done. I'm at 109. So. Um, <clears throat> Morgan is at 169, but it's fine. Uh, <laughs> That's a lot. Okay. It's a lot. It is a lot. Uh, okay, so since we last, I believe that in the last episode, we talked about how I was going to be watching uh, CODA, and we actually we ended up watching both CODA and Belfast that day. Okay. Um, so I have now seen all the Best Picture nominees. Um, uh, Belfast was fine. I, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, especially I think after after we had so recently watched Bloody Sunday, it felt so simplistic. Yeah. <laughs> Next to that, which I mean, it's you know, it's it's from a child's perspective. It's you know Kenneth Branagh's memory right. of his life functionally, um, but it, it didn't. Yeah, it, I didn't love it. Um, and then we watched Coda, which um. Well, we discussed some of the issues that, that Joel had heard about Coda uh, in the last episode, which uh, which I think were very relevant and fair. Um, I don't know why. I don't. It's, it's almost even worse than that because we have Coda, and then last year we have uh, The Sound of Metal or whatever, which I still haven't watched. Mm-hmm. But it's like we've had oh, two it's, movies. It's real good. I've heard that, but it's like we have two movies about hard of hearing characters, and somehow this is like in opposition to music in both. <laughs> 
Well, it's a little different in Sound of Metal. Yes, but I, I don't know. I was reading several. I was reading several members of the deaf, hard of hearing community talk about their frustration that like mm. this this seems to be like a theme. Um, but uh, the actors do great. They yeah. they're they're great. Um, the uh, I'm super thrilled that the, I think the dad is nominated for best supporting actor. Um, and he he did wonderfully. Um, the mom, of course, is played by. Uh, damn it! What's her name? The deaf actress that everyone knows. Yes, the deaf Mar- <laughs> Marley Madeline. Yeah, um, she's great. She's she fantastic, great. and she yeah. was fantastic in this. Um, definitely love, as I saw many uh, deaf, hard of hearing folks comment, like the, you know, the deaf community as sexual and funny and not like you know so often when it comes to like disability stuff. Uh, any presentation of sex is <laughs> like sort of verboten, um, or at least yeah. is not considered like a part of normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say overall, I I don't know. I don't want to. The problems aside, it 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 kind of was like it's in a long tradition of movies. Everything from I don't know why the first thing that always comes to mind is Ice Princess, but it's a long tradition of movies of kids who. Are, are passionate about something that their parents don't support and you know but then eventually their parents will come to their recital or whatever it is <laughs> and we'll see how much they love it and things will change uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's that much more interesting about this story uh, than that other than you know the acting is really great and I I like to see more deaf representation. Hopefully that will lead to more nuanced and complex deaf representation. Love to see sign. I, I enjoy that. And I, I liked how they filmed that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. I, I gave it three and a half. I gave Belfast three. It's okay. <laughs> um, and then the next night I decided to watch a couple of movies. I watched a 1976 film uh, called God told me to, uh, which is, sort of a it is a New York detective um, investigating a series of murders committed by random New Yorkers who claim that God told them to um, and it, it's it ends up in this weird sci-fi <laughs> place there's I don't even know quite how to describe it and I kind of don't want to give it away because it's a bananas movie uh, but it is I think it's worth watching I didn't love it but it was definitely interesting um and took a lot of and it was one of those movies where it's like that's such a weird swing that I feel like just wouldn't happen now um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's on Criterion okay uh, so you know um and then I watched a mo- a documentary from 2000 called Dark Days I think I saw that is that the one about the homeless people living in the old subway tunnels yes. yeah I watched that years ago like before I moved to Portland, I think. I mean, it was a 2000 documentary, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's I excellent, mean, though. Yeah, I remember it being really good. Really, really fascinating. Really a great, um, you know, there's tons of people who live in New York subway systems. A really great uh, film about just letting people speak for themselves. There's no talking heads. There's no, like, there's none of that. It's really just these people talking about their lives um, and their community and that sort of thing. Um, good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and it was great. I I liked it a lot. Um, watch Furious 7. We're still working our way through Fast and Furious. Um, and then we went to California, Eric and Morgan and I. Um, and we went to a wedding, but also we were there for several days. So we also watched uh, five movies mm-hmm. while we were there. Um, <laughs> so first we watched Flea. 
which was great. Um, loved it. It's, that one's on Hulu now, right? It is on Hulu now. Yeah, I need, to, watch I need it. to catch up with that one. Yeah. Um, really a, a tough watch in many ways, but um, beautiful. Uh, just really, really a compelling film. I'm, I was so glad I got to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we watched Free Guy because it was after the wedding, and we were, you know, kind of burned out. And we were like, well, let's watch something. <laughs> something dumb but this is way dumber and differently dumber than i thought it would be um it's awful differently dumber okay well, i thought it would be i thought it would be dumb in like a more fun way but it wasn't mm. in a fun way it was it was just dumb and, and i'm probably not helped by the fact that i don't find ryan reynolds to be that charming mm. um so whatever i i gave it a half star or i gave it one star instead of a half star because there was one thing that made me laugh twice in the movie. So, okay. So there was that. Um, and then the next day, we went to go see Cyrano in theaters. I loved it. Okay. Um, I, Peter Dinklage is so great. Um, I really like the music, which I had already been listening to. Um, I just, it's a beautiful movie, because of course it is, because you're right. Um, I don't know, like... There were times where I felt like I wish I had had a little more in a few spaces. Um, I wish we had expanded a little bit. Um, but overall, it's it's a treat to watch. It's just some great acting. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to that one. It hasn't come here yet. Yeah. But. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I'm excited to hear what you think of it. Um, and then that night, we watched uh, The Art of Self-Defense. Okay, I saw that one. I was hoping to like better. I... I don't know how to describe it because this sounds like uh, an insult to the, and I, I don't think it is. I think it's just a thing. It's like it's like the same comedy note for like the whole movie, mm. and this is like a thing. There, I mean, I'm, I'm blanking on other examples of this, but like there are other examples of this, and for some people, this really works. I, I think this is this is a thing where for some people, like the longer the note holds, the funnier it is, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's not the case. It just makes me tired. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very tricky kind of comedy for me. Like, because what usually happens is, it goes back and forth between being funny and not funny. Like, it, if it starts out funny and then the, it, the joke just continues, then it gets old. But if you stretch it out long enough, it comes back around to funny if you do right. it right. But it's really tough. It's a tricky thing to do. So that that's my my experience. But yeah, so it just it wasn't my thing. I didn't love it. Um, and then we had been talking, we watched uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, um, which honestly, way more enjoyable than I expected it to be. Okay. It's not, it's not like amazing, obviously, but I was charmed in multiple instances. I laughed more than once. Uh, I, I gave it three and a half. I, I had a good time. It was. Okay. <laughs> it was cute. Um, on the plane ride back, Morgan and I watched uh, The Tinder Swindler. Because that seemed like a good movie for a plane ride. Um, mm. I, I love a true crime. Love a true crime. It's, it's the thing that I use to unwind frequently. Hated this movie. Mm. <laughs> this movie. I don't know. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing people talk about it. I, I've, I feel like most of what I've heard has been bad. It doesn't look good to me. But well, no, I'm also I, less, much less of a true crime yeah, person than you are. Yeah, I was big of a fan of that sort of stuff. And I don't mind bad true crime. I... True crime is like the thing where like when my entire brain is burned out and I just can't, I'll be like, I'm going to put on some true crime. It's like, <laughs> weirdly, even though a lot of it is copaganda and bullshit and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. 
But, uh, so the Tinder Swindler is about this dude who told women that he met on Tinder. It doesn't matter. It could have happened through any, it just happened to be on Tinder, but whatever. Um, that, that he was the son of a billionaire, um, who calls himself the Diamond King and who is a real, a real guy who owns a bunch of diamond mines among a lot of other things. Um, and then these women, he, he sort of ran like a pyramid scheme with women. He had like a number of women on the hook at the same time and would like get money from them so that he could fund this lavish lifestyle to get more women on the hook sort of thing. Um, and I was supposed to feel bad for them because the super villain that they decided to date ended up being a different kind of villain. Right. <laughs> like, I was like, bitch. This man told you he owned diamond mines. <laughs> like, and you were like, yes, please. Um, I, I, I don't care about any of these women. I, because they are all privileged, white, thin women who, you know, were pissed off that they didn't end up rich. Like, that's right. what it was. Like, that's all it was. And I don't. I'm kind of glad he scammed them. I'm not mad about it. Honestly, he's he's still out there doing his thing. Go ahead. I don't care. Oh, really? They haven't caught him? Well, they caught him, but then he only did like five months and now he's out. Oh, okay. He's out with a new scam. But like, I mean, <laughs> I just don't understand how I'm supposed to feel bad. Like when I was telling Allison about this, um, and I think they watched it too, they were like, um, I love extracted wealth, but just not when it's extracted from me. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's that's basically what it felt like. So fuck these women, and uh, you know whatever, yeah. Um, and then then it was my birthday on on Wednesday, and I uh, did not want to watch the Fate of the Furious because that's my least favorite of the movies. So uh, Mel and Morgan and I watched uh, the two Paddington movies. Um. Which did, Morgan had never seen. Did you see the, the weird bit of trivia about Paddington 2 that was floating around Twitter? No. Apparently, the guy who voiced the Ukrainian dub of Paddington Bear in Paddington 2 okay. is the guy who is currently the president of Ukraine. The, Whoa! Because he was like an actor, comedian before he got elected, right? So there's been all this, like, clips of him on Ukraine's Dancing with the Stars and shit floating around Twitter. And one of the things that came out was that he voiced Paddington in the Ukrainian dub of Paddington 2. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, I, I have not watched the Paddington movies. There. I had seen the first Paddington multiple, like, two or three times, and I love the first Paddington. I had only seen the second Paddington once, and I just did not like it as much, even though this was the one the critics were, like, the most crazy about. And I was curious to go back and rewatch it and see if I could figure out why. I figured it out. Totally figured it out. Still don't like it as much. It's because it is way too fucking Wes Anderson-y. It feels very twee. So many of the scenes, especially after having recent, relatively recently watched The French Dispatch and stuff, the way that so many of them are set up, some of that is present in the first Paddington. It's just not as much. And that just doesn't land for me. So I, I still like it fine, but I don't like it as much. Mm -hmm. um, and then I watched a movie on Criterion that was expiring that I was kind of curious about. Uh, do you remember or know about the 1992 film Poison Ivy? Uh, I remember seeing the 
video box on me uh, too <laughs> in rental stores because it was sexy. It was. Uh, that's all I know about it. <laughs> so it's a, I mean, it's it's a nineties like erotic thriller sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know I sometimes enjoy those. Um, it stars Drew Barrymore and also uh, Sarah Gilbert. Drew uh, Barrymore. Yes. Wouldn't she have been a kid? What a great point. She was 17 years old. Oh, that's unfortunate. Wait, she's the main character in it? She's Poison Ivy. She is the character seducing Sarah Gilbert's father and having several steamy sex scenes with the 50-year-old man who is played by uh, Tom Skerritt. And Hmm. it is upsetting. (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunate. (laughs) I mean, I think that there is an element. I was reading a few people talking about this that I think is real, that there's an element that like in this point, I think in the 90s, we did get these movies frequently that were like these sexy teenage things. um, And like the bad kid teenager was never seen as like someone who might need help so much as like, like bad, like the the bad kid was scary. Like this, this, Mm -hmm. you know, this sort of evil youth sort of thing. Uh, One of the things I saw someone bring up was The Craft. In which, like, the evil witch is never seen as, like, a really fucked up kid who needs help. But it's just, like... <laughs> um, and I do think it's kind of in that vein. But, no, she was 17. Uh, there's no nudity, mm. although there's one side boob shot. Um, but there's no actual nudity. But there's definitely some steamy and upsetting sex scenes of her mm. in heels and Tom Skerritt kissing up her legs. And it's... Um, <laughs> okay, then. I do not feel okay for Drew Barrymore that this was made. I will say it was directed by a woman, which is mm. really rare for mm-hmm. that sort of movie. Um, and I did actually find the first third pretty interesting before it, like, dived fully into that. Because a lot of it was about, like, her friendship with Sarah Gilbert, which is clearly very... I don't even know if queer-coded is the right way to put it. It's clearly very queer. Um, and, uh, I mean, in the opening monologue, Sarah Gilbert is trying to figure out if she's attracted to her, but she doesn't think she's a lesbian, but maybe she is. Um, so <laughs> it's okay. not that coded. Um, but I do think that the first third has a lot of like that. I don't know that feeling of when you're a kid and you make friends with someone who seems so much cooler than you and you're kind of obsessed with them. And if you're queer, maybe you also want to have sex with them, but you don't really know what that means. And like that stuff was pretty interesting. Um, and I thought it was done fairly well. Uh, but then it just, mm, mm, mm. nope, hmm. nope. Okay. And so then, almost done with movies, uh, Friday, Eric and I went to go see The Batman. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, um, I will will only say, what will I only say? Um, I was not a fan overall. Okay. Uh, I've heard mostly good things, so I'm I'm looking forward to it, but... Eric liked it more than me. Mm. I would have given it a three, although now I'm reconsidering that. I ended up giving it a three and a half because there is not one flashback to the death of the Waynes and I didn't have to see a single pearl. Okay. And that's, uh, that's never happened ever in anything Batman, as far as I can tell. When Eric mm-hmm. and I watched the first half season of Batgirl, in a show in which Batman never appears, I still had to see the pearls. <laughs> <laughs> True story. So um, I did appreciate that. I, I mean, I think everyone did a good job. The color palette was exhausting to me. Um, I felt like it was three hours. Uh, we were in the theater by ourselves. We, uh, went to go see the captioned showing that AMC was playing and no one else came. Uh, which kind of sucks because I want them to do more captioned showings because I really enjoyed that. Right. Um, Yeah, we've done a few of those. But also, uh, was great because we were in the theater by ourselves and got to, you know, whatever at the screen. So that was fun. 
I, I'm curious to see what you think of it. I have a lot of thoughts, but they are all spoiler territory, and we can talk about that maybe. Yeah, off. I'm sure I will have seen it by the next time we record. Maybe um, we'll do a spoiler section on the back. Yeah, and, I, I mean, thoughts. by then, yeah, by then it will have been out for a few weeks. So it, yes. We can, um, and then we came home, and I was like, "Dear God, I just want to watch something, please, anything with color." Um, and I was like, "Let's watch a cartoon." And I was like, "Eric, do you want to watch Viva, the Lin Manuel Netflix film um, that I haven't seen yet?" Or do you want to watch Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul? <laughs> and Eric chose <laughs> Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, and as we began watching it and I started entering stuff in my spreadsheet for it and such, um, I realized in that moment, maybe I knew this before, but I didn't remember knowing this before, the Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul is directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's... And you know what? It feels like it. Uh, was that his first movie or was that post Dawn of the Dead? Actually, I don't know for sure if Dawn of the Dead was his first movie. It was the first one that I knew of. But right. That may not have been his first one. Uh, it appears Dawn of the Dead. This was after 300. A oh. movies of his that I know, it was Dawn of the Dead, 300, Watchmen, Legend of the Guardians. Wait, it was after Watchmen, too? Yeah. And then Sacrifice. Huh. Okay. Um, Sting. The, the animation is beautiful. Like, it, it looks gorgeous. Um, now, if you remember anything about the 300 fight scenes, uh, which I do, even though I haven't seen it since theaters, mm -hmm. it's um, memorable. picture yeah. the 300 fight scenes, but with owls. So are they all uh, wearing loincloths and have... They are wearing armor. I just mostly meant the, like, slow motion... Oh, uh, yeah. Water spraying, whatever. It, right, it, the speed ramping thing. Yeah, right. It's a it's a ninety minute movie that apparently covered the first three books of the franchise, and it feels like it. <laughs> there is a lot of lore. I don't know that I'd recommend it, but it was. Okay. It was. Yeah, we watched it. So that was that, and then I just want to check my TV real quick. Oh, uh, Morgan, Eric, and I have uh, all watched now all the way through, and Mel, um, have watched all the way through uh, Love is Blind season two. Sure. And that's been a ride. Uh, been a ride. Uh, I finished... It's been a ride I, I thoroughly enjoyed, for the record, but um, I know that's not everyone's thing, but if you enjoy trash reality dating shows, this one was very trash and very reality dating show. I don't think I liked it as much as the first season, but I did have a good time. Um, finished season two of Euphoria. By the end of season two, I was like, no, this is garbage. <laughs> that's what I've heard, even from people who loved the first season. I've heard the second season was just the awful. I the first season, but was not confident that it was not garbage, but, like, enjoyed it. Uh. So I was like, all right. Um, and, I mean, it's hard, because Zendaya in particular and the kids in general are so good that I feel like it's mm -hmm. slightly obscures. Um, right. But uh, holy shit, by the last episode of this one, I was like, this is fucking terrible. Why is Zendaya slumming and has agreed to come back for season three? This girl does not need to do this. Um, and then the other thing I will say that I have been watching, uh, have you watched Abbott Elementary yet? No, I keep hearing good things about it, but very, no. very cute, no, really enjoyable. It's it's functional. I mean, like I, I feel like I get sick of people describing it this way, but in style, it is what it is. It's the office, but for grade school teachers. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's really fun. I, I've really I've watched the first seven episodes um, and have just thoroughly enjoyed them. So mm. um, up on Hulu, super recommend it. I think that's it. <laughs> okay, so. You have fewer movies than me. I'm looking at your letterbox. Definitely fewer than you, yeah. Um, so, uh, 
we watch so may and i have been on a little bit of a neil gaiman kick recently in our reading we Mm -hmm. we recently finished american gods which took us a few months and then we read his uh norse mythology which i hadn't read before and it's quite excellent yeah uh so we decided to watch stardust Mm -hmm. uh which i think might be the best adaptation of his stuff honestly except for maybe Coraline. yeah i I think that's probably um it's it is i feel like it's been kind of forgotten which is unfortunate uh the director matthew vaughn has gone on to do many very successful and very bad things uh he's the the monster behind the kingsman series that i hate um but stardust is a lot of fun yeah like it's uh it it's a very like um everything but the kitchen sink kind of approach yes. to fantasy yes. <laughs> and uh, and it's all like it has um a very young charlie cox in the lead role i didn't remember it was him um and a great supporting claire danes is in it has michelle pfeiffer robert de niro mm-hmm. sienna miller uh, Ricky Gervais, unfortunately, also shows up. Yeah. Mark Strong is the bad guy. Ian McKellen does narration. Peter O'Toole shows up briefly. Um, so really great cast. Um, a lot of it was... Uh, one thing that really struck out to me was um, how obvious it was that they had actually like gone outside to film things. Uh, oh. <laughs> which is, I feel like no one does that anymore uh but it was clearly actually shot on actual landscape and actual locations rather than uh in studios and it was cool um uh robert de niro in particular is is i don't know if you remember his character he's uh extremely funny and very against the robert de niro type um (laughs) i don't really it's been a long time since i've seen it you should watch it again i I should it's it's fun it's a good time i'm on Uh, so yeah, I, that, I think it was on Netflix. Um, I think Netflix is is coming out with a Sandman adaptation. So yes, yes. I think they're they're showing some Joseph some of Neil Gaiman's other. No, that one's that one fell apart a long time. My ago. bad. He was Joseph Gordon-Levitt was adapting it at one point, but that that's been that's been off the schedule for a long time. Uh, I don't think Gaiman was very involved in that version. Mm, okay. Uh, I think that was Levitt had gotten the rights from from somewhere else, I think, and it it didn't come together. Um, I don't actually know who any of the people in this version are, but Gaiman is very, very involved in this one, oh. which uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. He was super involved in the American Gods series, and I really didn't care for that one. That's true. So I definitely like he generally has a better like cinematic sense than some authors. Stephen King, I'm looking at you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but who knows? Well, he's, I think he's like, uh, I don't know. I'm also not familiar with the Sandman. I've never read any of the Sandman. So, um, right. uh, I, I have read Sandman, although it's been American Gods has been one of my very favorite books since I was like 17. So I was probably a little more precious about the adaptation of that one than I will be about Sandman. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, I'm curious. I, I read, I was reading Sandman when I met Eric. So it's been about, okay. it's been almost nine years since I read. Did you read it all? I did. Yeah. Hmm. It's one of those things, like, I would like to get around to it someday, but I just, you know, I've never had my hands on a copy. Graphic novels are expensive. That's and... true. I, I really <laughs> enjoyed it at the time, but. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Stardust. It's really good. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, that has unfortunately largely forgotten, so true. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, 
I watched a movie on Mubi called Chuck and Buck, which uh, was the the debut of writer slash actor Mike White, okay. who has written and acted in many things, including Zombieland and School of Rock, uh, stuff that I mostly like what I've seen of it. Um, he, most recently, he was the creator, writer, and I think director of um, The White Lotus, the White Lotus yeah. on HBO, right, mm-hmm. which I loved. Uh, so this was his kind of his... Uh, th- I think, I don't actually know for 100% sure, but I'm reasonably sure this was a Sundance movie because it very much has the feel of like the... It's, it was 2000. Yeah. It has like early 2000s indie Sundance movie feel to it all over. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Super low budget, like early digital. Um, it also it, so he's in it. Mike White is in it, and it also stars uh, Chris Weitz, who I didn't even know that he acted. Um, him and his brother were the uh, the writer directors of a bunch of stuff, including About a Boy, which I really liked. We talked about that on here, hmm. and the first American Pie movie. Chris directed one of the Twilight movies. And so they're they're mostly writer directors, but they're both in this movie. Chris is one of the main characters. Um, that's my dog whining in the background. She thinks she's dying. Um, well, why are you killing her? She just refuses to eat her food. Oh, I, I understand that. I have that dog. Too. <laughs> anyway, so Chuck and Buck is this super low budget uh, kind of, I guess, awkward comedy where so Buck is this sort of weird guy who at the beginning of the movie he's in like his late twenties and he's been living with his sick mother for several years, taking care of her. And she dies at the beginning of the movie. And he writes a letter to this guy who had been his childhood friend telling him that his mother had died in the funeral. So his friend comes out to the funeral and they reconnect. And his friend is now like this successful music producer guy in California. And there's like an immediate awkward, like, Buck is still trying to be, or yeah, Buck is still trying to be best friends, and Charlie, who he calls Chuck, is like not really sure he wants to be involved with this guy, and it it ends up becoming kind of like a stalker thing where Buck is Buck actually follows him out to California to try to like rekindle this relationship that they'd had. Uh, it ends up being a very queer movie, which I wasn't expecting at all. Um, okay, but it's. Uh, it was quite interesting. I I enjoyed it, and uh, I mean Mike White is a, he's a good writer. There's some stuff in it that's very funny. There's a lot of stuff in it that's very uncomfortable. Um, but it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's interesting characters. <laughs> right. Uh, it also has Maya Rudolph in a small role. Uh, she's always good. This is probably one of the earlier things that I saw her in. So yeah, that's uh, Chuck and Buck. Which I don't know where you can see it now. It was on movie. That's where I watched it. Uh, I, I think it's gone from there now. I don't know if it's available anywhere else. Um, then I went last weekend. I went to see the worst person in the world. Ah uh, yes, uh, I see you like it more than me. I did like it more than you. I don't think I loved it as much as a lot of people seem to. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the talk about it has been how this is like one of the the first truly great like movies that really like gets the millennial experience huh. of being this the sort of like uh the sort of aimless not sure of your place in the world uh 
drifting from thing to thing, uh, self-doubt thing that is sort of a hallmark of the millennial experience for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, which I can relate to that to a large degree, but the form that it takes in this movie is that she's one of these people who's like, she changes her major in college three times because every time she finds something new, she's convinced that that's the thing she was born to do. And she jumps from relationship to relationship because she always feels like maybe this isn't the exact thing she's supposed to be doing. And I guess that's the relatable experience for a lot of people, but it's very much not a relatable experience for me. I Uh, agree. (laughs) Still never found anything that I felt like I was supposed to be doing. And (laughs) it's uh, so I didn't have that kind of, of, personal connection with it that a lot of people seem to have had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still thought it was a really excellent movie. Um, I really like the structure of it. It's basically like, I think it was like 12 chapters. I do like movies that have chapter structures. I do enjoy it's, that. It's basically like, I mean, it follows through chronologically, but it's more like a series of vignettes than, mm-hmm. a, than you know, an actual linear story. Yeah. Um, so different characters come and go, and some of them are more connected to others than... Then some, you know, some are more or less connected. Um, but I, I did, I mean, I really liked it. it. I don't know that it's one that I will go back to over and over or anything, but uh, I did really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Ali Wong's new stand-up special for Netflix. On my birthday. Which is called Unwong. Uh, which, I don't, are you an Ali Wong fan? Are you a fan of her I, stand-up? I have never watched any of her stand-up, so I have, oh, okay. no, I have no thoughts. Gotcha. Okay. Um, May and I had watched her last couple stand-up specials and and really enjoyed both of them. So uh, this one is funny, too. Uh, She does. She's very funny. And but she it's kind of like she spends like the main theme of this special, basically, is how much she wants to cheat on her husband and how frustrated she is to have ended up in this marriage and now she's successful and now she's stuck and she can't cheat on her husband, which on one hand is like a, you know, th- this is a little bit of a, that is a, that is a common theme in stand-up comics, stand-up comedy from men, right? Right. <laughs> They're stuck in their relationship with this person they hate or whatever. Um, and so it, I don't know. It just, it seemed like no one had ever told her that, that non-monogamy was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it seemed like maybe someone should let her know. Someone should, uh, someone should give her a heads up. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I don't know how much of this is a, a stage character and how much of it is genuine frustration. Right. But uh, it's just it like she literally never mentions it as a possibility, even though it's literally it's, it is the running theme of the special. How much she wants to cheat on her husband. <laughs> It's right there. It's right, it's right there. You can just at least mention it. But it's funny. She's funny. So okay. uh, it's on Netflix. It's worth checking out. Uh, and then I did I did two more movies, uh, two more horror movies for that um, Evolution of Horror podcast that I've been listening through. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Poltergeist, which I think we watched that together way back we in the did, day. Many years ago. I don't hardly remember it. I hadn't seen it since. I didn't remember much of it either. Um, it's pretty, it's good. It is good. It's definitely not like top tier horror for me like it is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, a lot of people rank it up there with Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff. And I I wouldn't put it that high. I feel like a lot of people watch Poltergeist formatively in ways that we did not. Like we were way older than a lot of people I know. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it is it is often interpreted as like a uh, uh, a, uh, a condemnation of of America and the American dream. Right. And if if that is the way you're reading it, then you have a couple of like pretty clear allegories of the American dream is built on a cemetery and we have these hideous monsters in our closet. Right. <laughs> fair. Fair. <laughs> It works on that level, I guess. I found it a little bit frustrating because I felt like a lot of the, I guess the lore feels like a weird word for it, but I wasn't clear on exactly what was supposed to be happening a lot of the time. Mm. Um, it it kind of set up this whole thing about this world of ghosts and that there's this light that they're all trying to get to and some for some reason some of them have trouble getting there or something but there was like this other monster that was preventing people from getting to it or something but i didn't really understand what the other monster was or what its motives were or why it was okay their daughter in their closet or what i like i just didn't get what exactly was supposed to be happening a lot of the time and i found it kind of frustrating okay um also there's a there's a, a troubling moment where um the uh, Craig T. Nelson, the father of the family, is like after their daughter has been taken, he goes to these people who study the supernatural, you know, the, the Ghostbusters, right, right. Tell, d- describing the situation to them and telling them about his family. And he mentions that his wife is 32 and that their oldest daughter is 16. Oh, no. He's clearly older than she is. <laughs> oh, <So>. no. <laughs> that is a little bit. Uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is upsetting. It, it, it's a passing thing that clearly was not meant to be like a, yeah. Jesus. Anyways, <laughs> and then the other movie that uh, just last night I rewatched, The Fog, John Carpenter's The Fog, mm-hmm. um, which I, I had seen that once before, but it had also been it had been several years and I didn't remember it very well. Uh, the Fog's a lot of fun. Have you seen that one? I have not. No, it's one of the. I've seen a lot of Carpenter, but I have not seen that one. It's good. It's it's a very like um, it's actually much more of like a classic ghost story than I would have expected from him. Okay. Um, with some like eighties horror sure. style scares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual plot arc of it is is pretty classic ghost story. Uh, it has Jamie Lee Curtis and Hal Holbrook. Janet Lee is in it too. Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee are both in it. Although I don't think they have scenes together. Uh, maybe they do towards the end. Um, but yeah, it was fun. I liked it a lot. Uh, and let's see. That's all I've got for movies. Um, still watching Station Eleven. Still uh, I think I'm. I think I'm seven episodes into it, or six episodes, maybe. It's still great. It's just like a. It's not something that, at least for me, it's not something that I want to watch like every day. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of still going, but it is really good. Uh, and I, I watched the first episode. Of the new season of, um, God damn it. Why does my memory never work when I'm recording these? The HBO show about the televangelist family. The oh, Righteous The Righteous Gemstones. Gemstones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched the first episode of season two of The Righteous Gemstones. Which I think season two is over now. I'm like way behind. It, it is. Yeah, the last episode just aired last Sunday. You haven't been watching it, though? I have. Yeah, Morgan and I have been watching it. It's 
it's fine. I don't know. I wasn't crazy about the first season. I think I might overall have liked this season less, but I also okay. feel like what I hoped for from this show was never what it was going to be. So it's probably an unfair thing to. Right. I, I have very mixed feelings about Danny McBride. Yes. Uh, same. I'm not sure it's fair to say I have mixed feelings. I think overall, I just don't like him very much. Same. <laughs> Which is a little bit frustrating for me, honestly, because I feel like he is he is like a darling of the type of the type of like movie watchers and film fans and stuff that I generally see myself as being one of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of people who really consider him to be like one of the great geniuses of comedy right now. Yeah. And I it just most of the time it just doesn't land for me. Uh, I tried uh, Eastbound and Down. I watched I think I watched the whole first season of that. Didn't really like it. Um, and you know, I've seen him show up in, in different movies and stuff. And he's, he always, like he was in, um, what was that one? The Seth Rogen movie was at the end of the world. Is that what it was called? Or oh yeah. The, the end of the world. I think and he was, I, I enjoyed that movie overall, but I thought he was the least funny part of it. I mostly just find him kind of obnoxious. Yep. Uh, but a lot of people seem to think he's like the, the one person in comedy who can write good characters. And I don't understand why, Weird. but at any rate, I like The Righteous Gemstones more than any of his other stuff that I've seen. I enjoyed the first season, I think, a little more than you. And I, I like the first episode of season two, so I think I'm going to I'm gonna finish season two at least. But cool. well, we'll The first see. episode is long. Most of the other episodes are the normal 30 or 40 minutes. Right. I, yeah, that surprised me. I got I got into it and was like, wait, was this an hour show? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, I think that's all I've got. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I guess then we will see y'all next time. We will talk about Please Give, which I'm super excited to to rewatch and which will be uh, less uh, probably probably less emotionally devastating than this week. At least, uh, at least in different ways. Different. Emotionally uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.